Yesterday, I had the privilege to worship together with many of my old friends from my hometown, which is just south of here, Springdale. Um, it was a wonderful time of worship and celebration for the faithfulness of God. But the occasion for which we gathered together yesterday was not necessarily one that any of us wanted to celebrate. You see, it was the funeral of one of my closest friends from high school. Uh, you know, 50 years old seems pretty old until you understand that that person will never reach 51. The past several years, she has fought a, a valiant battle with cancer. Uh, but I loved what her pastor said yesterday. Uh, he said, she did not lose her battle with cancer. She won. Through Jesus Christ, she won. I think the Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? And he finishes that thought by saying, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Quoting the obituary from yesterday, it said, throughout her health challenges, Gretchen never gave up hope. She was the most determined soul and was driven by her faith in the Lord. Her faith only grew stronger in the final year of her life. Her life was transformed by her faith. She lived her life according to his word and found comfort in prayer, focusing special attention on seeking guidance. She would want her legacy to include encouraging everyone hearing this to do the same. Now, I must admit, any time I am confronted with my mortality, such as a time like this, any time I'm confronted with my mortality, I, I begin to linger with thoughts about my legacy. What, what will my legacy be. Now, I'm not thinking about money or property that I will someday leave my family, my church, or my favorite ministry. I, I think I've given up on that anyway. It's okay, you know. Um, but there's something way more important when it comes to legacy than, than an inheritance or property to leave to those who are behind I'm thinking about my testimony. I'm thinking about my spiritual influence or my, the impact that my life is having that's being passed down to the next generation and will hopefully be remembered for a long time thereafter. Your legacy is the emotions that people feel when they hear your name. It's the stories that they tell their children as they tuck them into bed. And it's the encouragement they receive 
during those tough days as they remember what you would have done in that moment. What you would have done, you are their example. All of which illustrate and illuminate Christ. And folks, that's the key. I want my life to reflect the love and the character of Christ. Who put it best in Matthew 5 when he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see God and glorify your Father. Or see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, I know another girl from Springdale who, like my friend, is an amazing musician. And one of the songs that she recorded highlighted the legacy that was passed on to her from previous generations. The song was a song called 70 Years Ago. The singer was a lady named, or is a lady named Twyla Paris. One blogger wrote about it and said this, Devotion to God runs deep in the Paris family, with a dedication to ministry going back four generations. Her great-grandparents were itinerant preachers in Arkansas and Oklahoma who held outdoor revival meetings and established churches, which is what her song talked about that she wrote back in the 80s. The blog went on and said, When Twyla Paris was a little girl, her grandmother wrote religious songs that were passed out at evangelistic meetings. And her father, Oren Paris, not only is a minister, but also a musician, a songwriter, and one of the founders of an organization that's headquartered here in Northwest Arkansas called Youth with a Mission, or maybe you've heard of YWAM. What a legacy. She's carrying on that legacy. Well, my father-in-law, Brother George Redden, and I were discussing this concept the other day, this idea of legacy. And you see, Brother George, he, he probably, I didn't know if he'd be here today. It's good to see you. I'm glad you felt up to being here. But you, you may or may not realize it, but Brother George is working on what I refer to kind of as memoirs. Uh, it's kind of autobiographical, but he's, he's sharing a lot of history from his perspective or from his family's perspective. Um, some of the events that were greatly impacted by his family. I don't know if you know this or not. I know many of you do, but um, we have a tremendous heritage uh, on all sides of my wife's family. Joanna's great uncle, some of you know, Brother Clyde Leslie was the founding pastor of this church. That's my wife's great uncle. Her maternal grandfather was the choir director and the chairman of the music department at Central Baptist College when my dad was a student there and sang in his choir. At the same time, her paternal grandfather was the president of Central Baptist College at that time. You know, these are the things that my children and 
my children's children and their children need to know not to take pride in the achievements or the positions that these people held, but to realize that they have a heritage of faith and of faithfulness to the Lord in their family. Now, my family heritage, I, I just told you about my wife's family heritage. My family heritage is a little more colorful and a little less sanctified. <laughs> but it is a legacy nonetheless. You see, my great-great-grandfather settled in the Cave Springs community in, back in 1870. He became the, the operator of the grist mill there on Osage Creek, and he was a founding member of the community. And since there were no Baptist churches in Cave Springs at that point in time, uh, old Uncle Elijah, as the locals called him, uh, would load up the family in the wagon, and they rode five miles to go to Spring Creek Missionary Baptist Church, which is now what we know as, uh, located on what we know as uh, Wagon Wheel Road. The five-mile journey would take them an hour each way every Sunday. And they did this for about 10 years until the first Baptist church of Cave Springs was established in 1880 in the old stick-in-the-mud schoolhouse. And yes, that is really what they called it. Um, later, that church moved closer to the grist mill on Osage Creek, and it's located now in the same place it always has been since it left Stick in the Mud Schoolhouse. That's on the corner of 112 and 264. I'm sure you've passed by. You see, these are the stories of faith that I need to tell my children and my children's children. I need to tell them that their great, 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 great grandpa Allen was a godly man that sometimes lost his temper and sometimes got caught gambling <laughs> and was kicked out of the church both times. <laughs> but you know what? I also need to tell them that each time he was found doing something wrong, each time he repented and he reconciled, not only with God, but reconciled with his church. Not only was Elijah Allen a charter member of that church back in 1880, he also served as a deacon at First Baptist Church of Cave Springs, as did his son, Elijah Hinkle Allen, his son, Harvey Elijah Allen, and his son, John Henry Allen, my dad. I'm the one that messed it up. I'm not a deacon. Um, you may, I mean, this is all great, and this is, this is my story, my family's story, my heritage, my legacy. But you may be saying, Brother Wade, I don't have that kind of legacy in my family. And you know what? I understand. And that may be true today. But can I say to you, your legacy can begin with you? Think about it for a moment. 
What kind of legacy did Abraham and Isaac have? What kind of legacy did they have? You think, well, they were amazing. They were, I mean, we refer to them as patriarchs. But Abraham had a wife. And it, he was an old man before he had a son. And then he had that son illegitimately. And then finally he had a son in his old, old age. God made a promise to him that he would bless his family. Abraham never saw that. You know, I think Elijah Langston Allen, as he was pioneering his way across Arkansas to settle up here at the cave that he had camped at while he was a soldier in the Civil War, it was just him and his wife. His family. There wasn't much to it. But he made a decision to follow God. From Abraham and Isaac's perspective, they didn't have much legacy. But from the author's perspective, the author of Hebrews' perspective, their legacy continues even until today. And you know, it doesn't matter which one of these legacies of these examples you describe, whether it's my friend Gretchen or Twyla Paris's family or Joanna's family, the Leslie's, the Reddens, the Birches and the Gunnels or the Allen family. The legacy is a legacy of faith in God and faithfulness to God. And that's what I want us to think about today. What will your legacy be? Well, last week we noted that the grand key for perseverance is faith. And so knowing this, we are set up for the greatest exposition of the subject of faith found anywhere in the Bible. And that is in Hebrews chapter 11. So as we move on into this 11th chapter of Hebrews this morning... We'll begin our exposition with a definition for faith. After that, we'll take a few minutes to consider some of the people of old that are not necessarily mentioned here in this chapter uh, by name, uh, but they are people of faith in Scripture. And then finally, we'll take a look at some foundational teaching about faith. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to read three verses this morning. If you are using the interactive notes on the YouVersion Bible app, uh, it's there or it's on the screen above. Let's read what, what this passage has for us today. It says, Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen for by it the people of old received their commendation by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible in an effort to introduce the events about to be described the author pauses here at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 in order to explain what faith ought to look like. 
And so let's look first at a definition for faith. A definition for faith. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what does this mean that it is the assurance of things hoped for? Well, you see, faith is a dynamic certainty about what God has promised. Did you hear that? It is a dynamic certainty of what God has promised. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not optimism. Faith is not a hunch and it's not sentimentality. And by the way, it's also not brainless. It's not blind. Faith is a dynamic certainty about what God has promised. It is a solid conviction resting on God's words that makes the future present and the invisible seen. I love that. It makes the future present and the invisible seen. It reminds me of Romans 8. When it tells us, uh, you know, those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, as I'm looking out at you, some of you look nice today, but none of you are glorified. And yet the Apostle Paul puts it in the, old, uh, in the past tense. Saying it's already happened. Why? Because by faith... He believes it's going to happen so much that it is a certainty about what God has promised. Folks, when you talk about faith, you should not have faith in faith. Your faith should be in God. So it's not about how much faith I have. When Jesus said, if you have the faith, as much as a mustard seed, a tiny, tiny bit of faith, then you can do this and you can do that. It's not about how much faith I have that matters. It's about the one in whom my faith is placed. Faith in ourselves or faith in someone else or faith in something else Faith in your 401k, whatever your faith is in, whatever you're trusting in, folks, if it's not faith in God, it's just wishful thinking. Faith in God is an absolute certainty. Now the Greek word here in 11 verse 1 that's translated as assurance is also found in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And there in that verse it tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's giving us a description of the work of Christ. But that word there that we have assurance in 11.3, or so, sorry, in 11.1, in chapter 1, verse 3, is that phrase that says that it is the exact imprint of his nature. 
So the nature of God and the assurance of God come from the same concept in the original language. What do we learn from that? Well, our assurance is not a feeling that we have. Our assurance is based on the nature of God himself. It's because of who he is that we can have faith, that we can have this assurance of things that are hoped for. Our assurance in God is because of the nature of God. If God was anything other than what he is, he would not be trustworthy. But he is God and he is faithful. And so faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. The ESV uses the word conviction of things not seen. The King James Version uses the evidence of things not seen. These translations augment each other because the evidence by which a thing is proved brings conviction and certainty to the mind. You cannot have conviction without evidence. You cannot, or, and if you have evidence, you can get a conviction, right? So they work together. And so our faith is the means by which we are able to see the reality of the spiritual realm. As I look around you today, I see you sitting in chairs. The physical things that we, you know, see, hear, taste, smell, touch. Our five senses help us to see things in the physical realm. But folks, there is a spiritual realm that is all around us that we do not see what's going on. But our faith helps us to see to understand what is happening in the spiritual realm. Let me illustrate, if you give me that, that opportunity, it, with a story from 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read several verses from there, so if you want to turn to that, uh, I'll give you a moment to do so. You see, we find here the prophet Elisha. And Elisha is, uh, he has... A servant with him, and they have gone to the city of Dothan. And so let's read from 2 Kings chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 8. And realize that Elisha was pretty talented in upsetting uh, leaders. <laughs> okay, we'll just leave it at that. So it says in verse 8, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel... He took counsel with his servant, saying, At such and such a place shall, uh, shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So, let me, let me just give you the quick summary of that. King of Syria 
decided he was going to take his army someplace. And however God chose to allow the prophet Elisha to hear this, to know this, then uh, Elisha passed that information on to the king of Israel. And so it, it you know, really helped the king of Israel out. So verse 11, it says, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. He thought he had a traitor in his midst. Goes on and says, And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, I love this, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. I said, we're not, we're not traitors, king, but there's something about this dude named Elisha. Going on, verse 13 and 14. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So the frustrated king was tired of dealing with this prophet. And so he sent a whole army to kill one man. And so they wake up the next morning. The story continues. The servant of Elisha wakes up and it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Now there's more to the story, which is, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with the story, it's worth the read. Because it, it there, but that's not today's sermon, okay? So go home and read that. But what we want to focus on here is what God allowed this young servant to see. You see, God allowed Elisha's servant to physically see what Elisha knew to be true because of Elisha's faith. The reality of the spiritual realm. I want you to think about this. How did Elisha know that the army of the Lord was ready there for battle? How did he know that the army was there to protect him? Did he see them physically? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, because I think he just knew God. Did you hear that? He knew God. And he knew God's nature. And he knew God would take care of him. And because he knew that God would take care of him, he knew that God had an army there to fight against the king of Syria. 
And so what he did is he asked God, help my servant to see what I know to be true. And that is that you are a God who loves me and cares for me. You see, Elisha knew that to be true because of his faith, because he knew God. I love what Jesus said in John 10, 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. His sheep, us, those who are followers of Christ, we follow his voice because we know him. But folks, you don't recognize the voice of someone you don't spend time with. I mean, think about it. The first time you ever talked on the phone with that girl or that boy that one day became your wife, did you recognize their voice immediately? Probably not. But you know what? I don't need caller ID on my phone to answer and hear my wife say, hey, to know that it's my wife. Why? Because I know her intimately. When we know God intimately, we have no problem recognizing his voice when he's speaking to our spirit. We don't question, is this the voice of God or is this the voice of Satan or is this just my personal desires? When we know God intimately, his voice comes across loud and clear. And when we know God's voice, we can trust God's voice and we have assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things that are not seen. That's faith. Dallas Willard said to confidently distinguish and recognize the voice of God as God's voice that only comes by experience. He wrote that in a book called Hearing God. And in that book, Hearing God, he, he wrote about this passage here in 2 Kings chapter 6. Dr. Willard stated, How we need our Elishas today, who by life and teaching, as well as by prayer, might open our eyes to see the reality of God's presence all around us. Oh, how we need Elishas in our life today to open our eyes to see God at work, to see God's presence. That's a definition of faith. Let's look now at a demonstration of faith. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, it just says... For by it, the people of old received their commendations. Their commendation. By what? By faith. By faith, the people of old received their commendation. You know, Hebrews 11 is loaded with Old Testament references of people of old who received commendation because of their faith. 
And we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at all of these examples in Hebrews 11, um, dividing them up into, into four different groups. Uh, and, but for today, I want to spend a few minutes looking at some, of the, some people of old that are not included in this chapter by name, but people who demonstrated the kind of faith that we just defined, a faith that is certain of the unseen. If you would, turn first of all to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. <coughs> In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find the story of Samuel's birth, and uh, specifically we see this story about his mother, Hannah. And in 1 Samuel 1, she is in the temple and she is pouring out her soul before the Lord. And a priest named Eli saw her and she was so distraught that he thought she was actually drunk. Her lips were moving, praying intensely to the, intently to the Lord and intensely, um, but no, nothing was coming out. She was just praying silently to the Lord. And so Eli confronted her. And notice what she said in 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. She vowed a vow, to, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, what affliction? What's Hannah dealing with? She couldn't have a baby. She was barren. God had not allowed her to have a child. She said, but if you will remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head, which is an uh, Old Testament vow called a Nazarite vow. She was dedicating her child to the Lord, a child that she did not yet have. And while she was doing this, Eli saw her, thought she was drunk. <laughs> and he said, I'm, you know, I see the anguish that you're going through. Be assured, he said, that God is going to answer your petition. Be assured. And you know what? A year later, she had a son. Three years after that, she went back to Eli and she gave him her son to be a servant in the temple. And that was the story of Samuel's birth. What an amazing faith that this, this mother who just wanted a baby offered him back to the Lord. What an amazing faith. Well, there are a few other folks that I want us to think about. And their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Are you familiar with those folks? If I told you where 
to look, you might recognize them a little bit better. Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, we find their names that were given to them when they were carried off into exile. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young Hebrew exiles knew that if they obeyed God, or sorry, if they obeyed the king and disobeyed God. Let me start over. <laughs> These three young Hebrew children knew that if they obeyed the king, then they would be disobeying God. And so they placed their faith in the Lord to deliver them from whatever punishment that might be. Well, the king decided anyone who did not bow down to this golden statue would be thrown into a fiery furnace. Notice what they said here in Daniel 3, beginning in verse 12. This is talking about them. It said, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. No problem, he said, if you'll do it now. But if you do not worship, he said, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then notice what King Nebuchadnezzar said at the end. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Hmm. Verse 16, it goes on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set Whether or not God delivered them was not the issue for these young men. It was the fact that God was able and that God was in control. You know, folks, having faith in the Lord does not mean that everything is always going to work out the way that you hope. Faith is trusting in God's plans. 
Joanna right now is reading a book. I, she's homesick today. Y'all pray for her. She's got a, a bad sore throat. And, but she's reading this book by Randy Alcorn, uh, who is a, a theologian and a novelist. And this is one of his novels. And um, in this novel, I've never read the book, so I can't tell you anything about it. But she read this part to me this week, and I was like, I should share that. But the, the main character apparently goes to a Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church in the, in the uh, novel. And so he's listening to this, this pastor preach. And the pastor says, you know what bothers me? What's that, pastor? They, they call back. You know, there are Missionary Baptist churches out there that talk back to their pastor. And it's okay. It really is. Not this one, but, you know, it is, you know. <laughs> they said, what's that, pastor? He said, this prosperity theology, this health and wealth gospel. Let me tell you a story now. One day I asked the Lord, Lord, what's a million years to you? He says, it's only a second in time to me, son. So then I asked, Lord, what's a million dollars to you? He says, it's only a penny to me, son. So then I says, okay, Lord, how about you just give me a million dollars? The Lord answered, sure, son, but you'll have to wait just a second. <laughs> now the point is, he went on, God's going to give us great gifts, treasures beyond our wildest dreams, but that doesn't mean he gives them to us here and now. Faith is trusting God that he'll come through later in the world to come, there and then, not just here and now. If you think God promises great wealth and perfect health here and now, you need to go back to the Bible and let God pop you upside the head. You hear me? And they said, Amen. Ain't it the truth, Lord? It goes on. But I want to jump down to this next part. He said, you know what I think? And they said, what's that, pastor? He said, I say when we tell God he has to take away this illness or this handicap or this financial hardship, we may be telling him to remove the very things he put into our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah trusted. They were men of faith who trusted in God's plan. You know, there's another young lady in the Bible that I wanted to mention this morning. Her name was Ruth. And you may or may not realize this, but Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Rahab. Which, by the way, Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll get to her in a few weeks. But Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Rahab, which, if you know anything, if you remember anything about Rahab, she was a prostitute. She was living in Jericho. But by faith, she trusted in what the men, the Israelites, came and said to her, and she protected those men, and God counted it as faith. 
And so we have Ruth, or, well, Rahab gave birth to a young man named Boaz. And the events found in the book of Ruth is a beautiful story of God's grace that was bestowed upon Ruth as a result of her faith and being uh, betrothed to Rahab's son, Boaz. And because of her declaration of faith in God, in the God of Israel, because you see, Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Moabite. But she proclaimed her faith in the God of Israel. Said, where you go, talking uh, to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your God will be my God, she said. And because of that, Ruth would then become the great-grandmother of King David. In fact, Ruth would be named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ that we find in Matthew. Chapter 1, verse 5. You can look it up. There she is. A great woman of faith. Well, the last one that I want to mention this morning, and I'm, I'm running out of time, and I apologize. We'll, we'll hustle on through these last couple of things. But going back again to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, we find the, the namesake of the book, which was, his name was also Belteshazzar, his uh, Babylonian given name. But we find Daniel, an exile from the land of Judah, is the most trusted official serving under King Darius in the Medo-Persian Empire. And because of jealousy, the other subordinate leaders in the empire set a trap for Daniel to get him in trouble with the king. And so they convinced the king to make a decree that no one in the kingdom would be allowed to pray to anyone else other than the king himself for 30 days. And this, you know, puffed up the king. He's like, wow, that's a great idea. And so while mesmerized by the accolades of his subordinates, he signed this decree into law, which in their system of government, it could not be revoked. Once the king signed it, not even the king could revoke that law. And shortly thereafter, King Darius was regretting his decision because Daniel obeyed God. He stood there in an open window of his home and turned toward Jerusalem and he prayed to the Lord, not to the king. And so he was found, they arrested him, brought him in, and the punishment was going to be to be cast into a den of hungry lions. Notice what the king said here. In verse 16, Daniel 6, verse 16, it says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the, the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And you know what? He did. What do we learn from this great man of faith? I think we can learn that Daniel's circumstances 
did not alter the exercise of his faith. The king's decree to not pray to anyone else other than the king did not change Daniel's mind. He prayed to the Lord just like he always did. His circumstances did not alter the exercises of his faith, nor did the threat of being thrown into a hungry den of lions deter him from obeying what the Lord had commanded him to do. He was faithful because of his faith in the Lord. You know, in each of these examples, we see the presence of God at work in the lives of these people of old. Sometimes God was visible only by the result of his work, such as Hannah and the, her pregnancy and birth, such as Ruth and God's blessing of Ruth and Boaz, or Daniel's survival of the den of lions. They didn't see God shut the mouths of the lions. They only saw the result, and that was Daniel came out alive. But you know, sometimes God's presence and activity is much more conspicuous. If you read the account in Daniel chapter 3 verse 19 where uh, the king got enraged at the obstinance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they threw them into the fiery furnace. And the men that threw them in, the fire was so hot it killed the men that were throwing them in. And yet a few minutes later, they look up and someone asks, hey, didn't we throw in three guys? They said, yeah. Well, look, there's four in the middle of the fiery furnace walking around. And he said, and one of them looks like the son of God. <coughs> We find demonstrations of faith in all four of these examples. And again, these are not even the ones listed in the hall of faith that we're about to study in Hebrews 11. Well, I, I still have one more verse to look at. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, in Romans chapter 11, verse 3. And so I want to just take a moment and think about what Hebrews 11 has to say here in verse 3, and then we'll be done. See, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What we find here in Hebrews 11 verse 3 is the foundation of our faith. And accepting the truth of God's word is an act of, of faith. What is the truth of God's word? Well, the truth of God's word is that God created the heavens and the earth. Read with me from Psalm 33, verse 6. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth Fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Hebrew poetry 
has what is called synonymous parallelism. In other words, it doesn't try to rhyme one line to the next, but it says it and then it will say it again in a different way, in an opposite way. But in this situation, it's the same. It's repeating what he's saying. And what did he say? He said, he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth, all their host. The spoken word of God is not visible, yet its product, which is the material universe that we call our home, that can be seen. R.C. Sproul explained it this way, the classic Christian doctrine of creation is creation ex nihilio, which means out of nothing. He said God spoke the universe into being and out of nothing. God did not take eternally pre-existing matter or substance and reshape it or reconfigure it into the present world. He created out of nothing. Well, I would love to expound on this further um, but let me just say this if you're interested in thinking more about this idea of the science of creation and how that correlates with scripture I would invite you to look at a sermon titled doesn't science disprove the existence of God which was from November 5th 2017 uh, if you're on the YouVersion uh, interactive notes, you can find a link to that sermon. Uh, but it's in the middle of a series that we did here uh, about truth. Is it relative or relevant? And we talk a lot about this issue. But folks, what I want us to settle on this morning is simply this. The truth of God's word is that God created that's the foundation of faith. And the truth of God's word has been made obvious to everyone. Did you know that? Everyone, it has been made obvious to them. But some choose to disregard it. Let me finish with this from Romans chapter 1. Verse 19 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, folks, everybody, without, without any... Uh, what's the right word 
See, I've preached so long now, I can't think myself. Imagine what you're trying to do sitting there listening to me. I apologize. No exception. There is no exception. Everyone is without excuse. Because when you look at the world around us, creation cries out for a creator. The design in creation has to be the result of a designer. Verse 18 in Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If we cannot accept creation as truth, if we cannot accept God's word, as truth, then we will suffer the wrath of God. It's clear. Absolutely clear. And so this morning, that's a, an explanation of our faith. It is the substance or the assurance of things that are hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things that are not seen. My question to, do, to you today is, do you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you do not, today is the day to make that decision. We're about to sing a song, and I want to encourage you to, to come forward, and you can talk to me, or find one of our other pastors, or one of our deacons, or, or somebody that you know and trust, Talk to them about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ and place your faith, your trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time today in this passage. And Lord, um, I just pray that if there are any here today that do not know you, Father, you would help them to see that when they stand before you someday, they will be without excuse. Lord, help them to make a decision for Christ today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.